I can resonate with that reading, one, um, one of my two sisters who passed away, even if I'd become the Pope, she wouldn't have been impressed because she knew who I was, you know. <laughs> I'm the one that used to chase her around the kitchen with a wet towel. I was really good at it, too. You got to get the right snap. And that was, I shouldn't be even saying that. We'll, we'll delete that from the tape. When anybody who goes to Paris will always want to go to Notre Dame, of course, you can't go in right now, but they've cleared the the area in front of it so people can go there. And from the other side of the Seine, for example, you get a good view of it, of what's what they're what they're doing now to it. And it's, it's traumatic. It's good that they were able to save it. The first thing they did was pull the windows out, especially the rose window, which was not damaged. Not, I, don't, I think only a few windows were damaged. That that's the weak part of the building. The strong part, of course, is the are the stone pillars. But even those, over time, much of everyone's surprised it shifted a great deal. So there was a lot of danger that maybe it's a blessing in disguise that, that all of this can be fixed now. But in any case, one building nearby is very often missed by people that go on their own, and even many tours leave it out. There's just not enough time to see everything. But to me, it's one of the most sublime things I've ever seen. And it's called, uh, in fact, a lady at last mass had a little trinket on her keychain from one of the windows in this thing. It's called La Sainte-Chapelle, and it was built for a one of, the, one of the kings of France as a private chapel, so people would not go in there. And he had in there the crown of thorns. You would think that they would put that in a public place, but they didn't. And it was in a special uh, case behind the altar. Later, they took that out and put it in Notre Dame. So when the rector, when it began to burn, the first thing he grabbed was the crown of thorns and all the other precious articles in case, in case the fire consumed everything. They wanted to save what was precious. So uh, the La Sainte Chapelle is, is famous particularly for one thing. It is the highest uh, uh, example of all of Gothic architecture, not in height, not in width, uh, but in terms of how much glass it has. It is almost floor to ceiling, at least the appearance of having almost complete glass. In other words, they had discovered by then the secret of having thin uh, pillars supporting the, the, uh, the uh, vaulting on top of the ceiling, leaving a lot of open space for beautiful, beautiful windows. And almost all of them are original. A few have been replaced. One was put in a museum, and then they made a replica, for example. But uh, I, I mention that because St. Paul today talks about weakness. And it took him a while to figure out why God would not heal him. A lot of scripture scholars over the last 2,000 years have tried to figure out what exactly the weakness was that Paul described. I think it's, I think it's deliberate on the part of Paul or God that this we have this in the scripture without an exact description because it fits all of us. He had a terrible eye condition. At one point, he, he told one of the one of the letters. He said, "I know you would gladly have exchanged your eyes with." your eye with mine, if only you could. So he had a terrible problem there. And, of course, he had people that hated him everywhere he went, and, you know, and so on. There were all kinds of arguments with different disciples, and you never know what it was or, or perhaps some other illness that he had. But in any case, the, or I mean, he always said he wasn't a very good speaker, but he was a great writer, and, he, of course, he's one of the greatest apostles that, that we've ever had. But to him, 
he had a weakness that was impeding his ability to spread the gospel. And the Lord said to him, and he wrote it down, No, I'm not going to take this away from you because my power is perfected in weakness. It is through your weakness that my grace will shine forth. And it finishes with, in another translation, I think it's the Jerusalem Bible, the less I have, the more I depend on him. My pow- or in this reading, my power is perfected in weakness. The less I have, the more I must depend on him. So what our Lord wants, if we are able to accept it and go with his plan, which is not very easy, he wants to empty our bucket over time. You know how when, when we have the, we've had various catastrophes here in Salem, uh, you know, the, the heat, of course, was just one thing. I can't believe that only three cities in the United States have ever had 117, and Salem is number three after Phoenix and Las Vegas, but who would have guessed a million years? But we had some things where people wish they had food. And, but God is the opposite. He doesn't want us to have spiritual freezers where we have nothing but manna, so when something comes up, we have all the answers. We don't need to ask anybody. We know what to do. We don't even need the Holy Spirit to guide us. He doesn't, this is not what God wants. He instead... His openings to our heart come from weaknesses. In other words, even our sins. I mean, I hear we have very good confessions in this parish. I'm very grateful, very proud of our parish. So many, so many come in. And, of course, every sin is a weakness. And people sometimes have to confess things over and over or something they don't think God will forgive them for. And I remind them that Mary Magdalene, we don't know what her sins were. People have a common thought about it, but I won't mention it, but, but whatever it was, she was not a good Jewish lady. She had a reputation, a bad one, and she came to Jesus for healing. She was attracted to him because of what she lacked. And he not only made her well again, but gave her the privilege, a woman, which in that culture was not a, a legal witness, the first witness to the resurrection of the dead. She's one of his very best friends, along with Martha and Mary and Lazarus and St. John. And who was the first person into heaven? A thief. What did he have? Nothing. The epitome of emptiness, dying on a cross next to Jesus, and he said, I deserve this. The other thief, having the same emptiness, cursed Jesus and God. Those are the two choices that we all face. But in that emptiness... He found Christ and got everything. So that quality of neediness, whether it's a sin or we're sick or we're impeded by a a job or a mental illness or, you know, there's so many things that that come up in our lives. One of our relatives moves in. You know what I mean? Uh, I'll go into that in case you have that that come to you. Uh, You know, I was impeded for a year and a half by my mother who they gave her two months to live and she lived a year and a half. And, you know, I was taking care of her. But that power of, and, and, you know, everything I do in ministry comes out of that year and a half I spent with her. That the power of weakness, to, I mean, the, the idea of compassion and finding Christ in somebody that could not help themselves. And so it's the same in ministry. It's the same in life. The, uh, the, the pastor from my home parish, I never thought of him as a spiritual man particularly, but but he, he said to me, funny thing, he said the thing that helped the most in the seminary. He, he said, uh, and most of us have found it to be true, he said, the guys that come in looking and acting like priests, they already got their act together, almost never make it through the six or eight years. The ones that make it 
are able to float like a boat and go with the flow and let the spirit guide them and, 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 and work on them. I took that advice because I was a boat, a boat that was always sinking, you know. <laughs> I, I, you know what I mean? I had a bilge pump, but uh, the water was coming in faster than the bilge pump was working. If you have a boat, my dad did. And uh, so this, but God desires us to have that quality of emptiness that is represented by the windows. You can even see here a little bit uh, that makes it possible for him to enter or for us to reach out to him. And without them, we don't have that quality of light that, that shows others uh, the power of Christ. People that are strong and perfect and have no need of anything, they crucified Christ. They had no need for him or God or anything else. It was the needy people that came to him, loved him, and became his disciples. That's why he picked them. So we too, you know, I sometimes I do a lot of funerals here, and I got two next week, and people will come in at funerals to support the family. And you don't see this much at weddings. That's a different dynamic totally, but at a funeral, from my position up here, there's a whole group of folks, we had one fairly recently like this, who are either, it, it, they're making it very clear to me that they don't want to be there. Sometimes it's, it's just the fact that somebody is greet, that somebody's died and they're very uncomfortable. They haven't been in church in years. They're uncomfortable walking in a building like this for whatever reason. But what you see at times out there is this. <clears throat> it's directed at me. In other words, whatever you say or do, I'm not buying it. I would like to say to them, well, if you're not buying it, I'm not selling it. <laughs> We're just trying to bury your relative. Would you please get that face off your... But the, the point is, you know, they're sidewalks. They've got it figured out. They don't need God. Thank you very much. Well, you know what? They do. And I point out to them, at the end of life, and this is what a funeral is for, really. I think it's as much for the living as the dead. Anybody who's been to my funerals know I usually bring this up. But there's this quality of weakness that we have when we are here, ashes or body or whatever, it's going to happen to all of us, but, but it's not supposed to be a depressing thing for a Christian. We know that there's eternal life coming, but the unevangelized, what do you have left at the end of life? Your family and friends, the people, you know, that maybe you've forgiven or have that kind of thing, what we did with our lives and faith. There's nothing else. Everything passes away. Career, job, money, houses, trips, in the end, it's nothing. It's that weakness and realizing that we are actually weak and are not in control of the world. If anybody thinks that humanity or science or anything else is in control of the world, you haven't been look, listening the last 20 months, right? We Oregonians, of all people, should know that we really don't know what's coming next. And it's really, it's been an amazing two years here in this place. But uh, I have a, we have a picture in the office of the sky that was bright orange. It matched the outside of the church, and it was not a doctored picture. You remember that? I, I never saw such a thing would happen here. And, but that idea that, or that reality that we need God, that there's the spark of eternity in each soul. So what God desires to do, and I don't like this either, but it, it, it's true, he wants to... Spiritual growth largely consists of suffering, uh, or the, I should say the good fruits that come out of something that we are hurting in. And the reason is he's taking some of the 
the, the, the blocks away, strengthening the, the, the support beams so that we might be able to bring in more of the light of the Spirit and then radiate out to others. You know, I've said many times, this building, we found it was all sand under here. We didn't know that. We had to put 230-odd, I wish Paul Cook was here, he's the only one that knows. It was something like 230 geopillars, which took a lot of pounding, and it was a cost overrun, about $20,000, to make underneath each of these rock. And if we ever have, God forbid, a big earthquake here, this might be the only thing standing in Salem. But it's, it's good for up to any... Everybody in Salem won't be Catholic the day after that earthquake. How about that? <laughs> the windows will be cracked, but we have, we have plastic on them. They're not going to fall on the inside of the building. 8.3, I think, is what, we're, what it's built to withstand. But the quality of the building is windows. In fact, it was built to be a lighthouse. That was the theology of the architect. That's why we have the uplights and the light at night. It's supposed to be a lighthouse. And this is what we're supposed to be. So the building itself evangelizes us. But God, this is the nature of God. Uh, it, 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 I have to admit, it's not one of my favorite qualities of God. But the end result is we end up being, if we s submit to it like La Sainte Chapelle, uh, a building filled with glorious windows that the Spirit has been active in constructing a chapel within us that will be present for eternal life.